All right. Welcome to our first ever Habit Labs. First ever. Our first one. We are going yeah. to be diving in hopefully every month. <laughs> yeah, maybe more. We'll see. Maybe more. We'll see. So we're going to be talking about what it's what it's like to become spiritually mature, emotionally healthy. And so kicking this off, John, can you tell us a little bit about what it means to be emotionally healthy spiritually and what we have at the church? Yeah. Kind of yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, really, and as you were talking about the Habit Labs, I was thinking that um, really what we want to do through all of these is help you develop rhythms in your life that are going to move you closer to Jesus and help you grow in, in your walk with him and your relationship with him. So um, these Habit Labs are going to be highly interactive. We're just going to talk. We're just going to have conversation and give you guys some practical tools that maybe you can use in in your small groups, uh, your, your heart crews that are getting ready to launch here oh, yeah. uh, in, in May coming up. So excited for heart crews. I am too. It's going to be great. So um, anyway, to get back to your question, when we start talking about um, this idea of emotionally healthy spirituality, the basic premise of it, and this is a full eight-week course that we do. And so what we want to do, Aaron, is we want to give them just a snapshot of each of those eight weeks. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And the basic premise of the course is that it's impossible to be spiritually mature and be emotionally immature. Yeah. So we really try to dig into some other areas. And, and, and you know, that raises a lot of questions. But think about it like this. What did, what did Jesus tell us was, was the essence of the Christian life? To love well. So he was able to take all these 620 laws and break them down into love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what the Emotionally Healthy course does, or is we're going to refer to it EHS. So when you hear EHS, that's what we're talking about. So you're going through the course right now. Yeah. Um, what, what are you getting out of it so far? It has been challenging, I'm not going to lie. So I don't know that I knew what to expect jumping mm. into the class, and... So the first night we went through a devotional together to kind of get a warm up of what we're going to do in our own time. And one thing that I think we lose a lot in just day-to-day -day conversations and being in a church, we don't really talk about silence and solitude a lot. And um, Yeah, it makes some people nervous. Yeah, well, it's hard, you know, yeah. to get alone and be completely still and quiet. Especially for me, I like to, I'm moving a lot even now. It's countercultural. so yeah. it's hard for me to just like stop what I'm doing and like truly just be quiet and silent and listening to the Lord. And so that has been super challenging for me, mm. um, especially in the mornings because I am tired in the mornings, you know? And so. What, you're not up at 4.30 like, like, like the rest you. of the world? No. Come on. There is no way. Oh, actually, it's actually more common than I thought to wake up at like four in the morning. And I'm like, I pray that I never have to do that. Oh, man. <laughs> no, seriously, for me, I just I've always been a morning person. I get more done before noon. I, usually afternoon, my level of productivity just goes just goes in the tank. But yeah, I'm opposite. So, yeah. Anyway, we're, we're kind of chasing rabbits yeah. here. Um, so you asked me about the course and then that kind of got us sidetracked a little bit. So um, when I was introduced to the principles of EHS, I had been following Jesus for a long time. I'd been a pastor for a long time. And I recognized, however, that there was this huge gap in my own discipleship, as well as the people of those that I was leading. So it wasn't just me. I was seeing it in the church. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, I was taught a lot of the same things that, because you grew up in church, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I was taught a lot of the same things that that you probably were. Like, you know, we got to read our Bible. We've got to pray. We got to go to church. We got to serve. Mm-hmm. We got to do all these things. And And then if I did those things, I would grow into this whole and healthy and fully devoted follower of Jesus, right? Was that, was that kind of your experience? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And then life hits and you're yeah. like, why, wait, why am I not perfect? Wait you a know? second. This isn't, this doesn't, yeah, it, it doesn't work all the time. I mean, this is supposed to work. Yeah. And so I realized along the way that even though, and I was watching this in people's lives as a pastor and think, you know, they were doing all the right things, but they weren't changing deeply. Mm. It's almost like there was this surface level change where, um, you could see certain things that they were doing. There's a lot of activity, but yet they were still dealing with the same struggles, the same, uh, the same uh, falling prey to the same patterns and temptations and and behaviors that existed even before they made the decision to to follow Jesus. Something was desperately wrong. Yeah. So, so here here's what I did as a pastor. I figured, okay, so if people aren't changing deeply, we've got to do more. So I'm thinking, okay, we need more prayer meetings. We need more Bible study. Um, we got to do a greater emphasis. We got to teach people how to fight in the spirit. So I started doing a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare. And we would do nights of worship. And, and we, even, we even did for a while, we did this, these things called soak rooms where we just played worship music and people could just soak in God's presence. You know what I'm, <laughs> Yeah. So you, you probably, now your suspicions are confirmed that I'm weirder than no. actually. <laughs> no. Um, so, and on all that stuff is well and good. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but people were engaging and they were doing fine with that, you know, but, but was still happening. Their relational lives were still fractured. And again, they're still having these issues in their interior world. I knew that something was desperately wrong. And so all they were doing was the tip of the, hitting the tip of the iceberg, so mm-hmm. to speak. So um, now the iceberg's a big thing that we use in, in EHS. Yeah. So you want to talk about that just for a second, about the iceberg? Yeah. So the model of the iceberg is essentially, he actually shows us a picture of mm-hmm. an iceberg and showing like the top layer above the water is like 10%. Right. And comparing it to our life, that's 10% of our life that we only, we only hit with the daily things Right, and it's the stuff that people see. Yeah, that's yeah, what you the, see. the things that people see that we're not really going deep into each other's lives. Right. And so the other 90% under the water is all the deep-rooted things that we walk through that no one really knows about, we don't want to talk about, we like to hide, we don't want to even think about because it's painful or, I don't know, post-trauma or even little things too that we don't even recognize or maybe we're ignorant to. Right. And it's going, again, it's that going deep because what we're looking for is deep transformation so that we can become more like Jesus for the sake sake of of others. others. So, um, Aaron, um, let's, let's take a look here and let's, let's kind of get into some deeper content. Yeah. Um, so in this course, we discuss seven pathways to get us to emotionally healthy spirituality. So why don't you walk everybody through those seven pathways there? Yeah. So the first one we kind of took it out of a context a little bit just to make it easier for you to understand, um, for me to understand. And so first one is we reflect. We're asking right. God to help us to identify and live out our authentic self. Um, so looking back on 
what has shaped us. Right. Um, we do a rewind, looking at the things in our past that hold sway and break the power of those things over our lives, um, which is huge. Because I think we forget a lot about what we've walked through and what God's brought us through and how it's shaped us. Yeah, and even the family, our family of origin, the the behaviors and the, the systems that we grow up in, mm-hmm. we don't realize how much that shapes us. So yeah, yeah, we do a rewind on that. Absolutely. And so moving forward from that, we break through the walls that meet us on our journey that we didn't even think about, which I'm really excited about for the class. That's a big reason why I wanted to do it is because of the things that maybe I've put on the back burner in my life that I know I need to work through that I never really thought about being a big deal. And that's the thing, Aaron, when it's, it's not a matter of if you're going to hit a wall in, in your relationship with Jesus, it's when those walls are going to happen. We help people learn how to get through those. Yeah. Um, we do a deep dive into one of our key values at Pure Heart, which is it's not okay to be okay, which... It's for, not... Wait a minute. It's not okay to be okay? Oh, sorry. It's okay yeah. to not That's be all okay. That's all right. We, Thank you yeah, for correcting we, no me. No problem. I am listening to you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> um, and how God can enlarge our soul through the most difficult times of life. Now, that's a big one. Yeah, that's huge. One. And that's one of my main reasons why I think I feel so at home at Pure Heart. Mm-hmm because of all the brokenness, things that I've walked through, knowing that there's a church that's gonna accept me, no matter what I've walked through, and they're gonna love me through it on that journey. Yeah, and, and when we do like our, um, our our membership stuff, our growth track, and the different things that we do to get people assimilated into Pure Heart, mm-hmm. and we talk about our heart values, that one always sticks out with people. It's, yeah. like, it's like their favorite. Yeah, I think that'll be big at Heart and Soul, yep. which we have coming up. For sure. Yeah. Um, We learn healthy habits that enable us to stop and breathe the air of eternity. That is huge, too. Yeah, and that's part of why we're doing this series of habit labs. Yeah. So this is part of that bigger picture. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. We learn how to really grow into emotionally healthy adults and adopt key practices into our lives that keep us growing and moving forward. So that stepping in with that is the Habit Labs too, adopting key practices to our everyday life that um, maybe we didn't have set in stone beforehand. Yeah, in EHS language, we call it a rule of life. You know, this, this is, these are the things that we're gonna build into our life in, in all of these areas to make us whole person. And so it, that's an exciting chapter as well. Yeah. So the first thing we got to do, though, Aaron, is we've got to help people diagnose the problem in their own life. We've got to get them thinking about, okay, if we're looking at emotionally healthy spirituality, what's the problem? You know, what what's the unhealthy side of it? Yeah. So, so um, how would I know if I'm yeah. emotionally unhealthy spiritually? Right. So what we're gonna what we're gonna do the rest of the time that we have is together in this in this um, podcast is we're gonna look at the 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality and um, briefly unpack those. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. All right. So um, the first one is that, again, these are all symptoms and you may find some in your own life. Um, I find that most people aren't just affected by one of these. There are multiple symptoms, if you will. Mm -hmm. And again, don't feel judged by this. Don't feel condemned by it. But just realize, man, God's opening up a door and giving me an opportunity to 
right some wrongs that have been in my life and, and start going beneath the surface of that iceberg. So um, let's dive in. Yeah. All right. So the first one is um, we use God to run from God. And Aaron, this one is so, is so sneaky and deceptive um, because on the surface, we're doing, again, we, we've hit on this already. We're doing all the right things. We're reading scripture. We're praying. We're going to church. We're serving. Mm-hmm. But then here's where it goes south. It's when um, we use these activities in an unconscious attempt to escape pain. Yeah. Using God to run from God. So we create this flurry of, of what I call God activity in our life um, to avoid difficult areas that God wants to change. Yeah. I also think, for at least for me personally, growing up as a pastor's kid in the You're church, a pastor's kid too? Yeah. Nice. So we should growing up in group. ministry, <laughs> we should, <laughs> pastor's kid heart yeah. group coming soon. Right. <laughs> um, but it allowed, well, it allowed me to kind of create this unnecessary expectation of being a part of our discipleship group or being a student leader in my youth group, you know, constantly having those expectations that maybe no one even really said to me, but I put them in my own mind and it became almost like I have to continue to do the motions without actually thinking about like, oh, I'm doing this for God. You know, it was like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing this for me and my status. Oh, wow. And that like, I mean, it was like I was running away from my insecurity and right. my, you know, my wanting to be, I don't know, super spiritual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, I, I, the good I Christian relate. kid. You know, I can relate to that. I, and I think, I mean, I used God to run from God by um, trying to convince God that my will was His will <laughs> instead mm. of it you know, me submitting myself to his will. It's like, okay, hey God, I've got all these plans here that things that I want to see happen. And so I'm going to just start doing these things. And then hopefully you meet me there. Yeah. So God, <laughs> feel free to jump into my plans anytime you want. So that's, but again, and in down, this was crazy, Aaron. I, I knew even in doing that, that God wanted something else, but I was so stinking stubborn on what I wanted and yet I'm using God to run away from him. Yeah. You know, it was, it's the whole well, joke. Well, the thing is no one else knows. Oh, no. And most no one's going to call you out on that. And so that's uh-uh. something you have to work in yourself and yeah. hope God slaps you in the face. And Yeah. You know. So that's the first yeah. symptom. What's the yeah. second one? Second one is ignoring sadness, fear, and anger. Oh, wow. I think <laughs> a lot of the world today doesn't want you to feel you know, like they don't want you to truly show your emotion or wear your heart on your sleeve. You're supposed to just act like you're perfect all the time and act like you have it all together. Mm. And truth is, none of us have it all together. No, we don't. <laughs> and we have to be open enough to share our emotions and be vulnerable. And I think walking through these things allow us to almost experience the same pain that Jesus felt. And we don't talk about his pain or we don't talk about how he had emotions, you know? And so... Oh, he displayed a ton of emotions. And you can't even do an honest reading of scripture and walk away with this idea that God himself is not emotional. I mean, we're created in his image. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, and I totally relate to what you're saying. 
just bring into my world for a second. I was taught that um, giving place to any kind of uh, sinful, quote unquote, sinful emotions like anger, fear, sadness, things like that. If I if I gave into those things, it was a sin. Mm, wow. All right. Or if I gave place to them, mm-hmm. you know, if I if I acknowledge that they were there, okay. Um, if I felt these things in the core of my being, I I felt like I had to do everything in my power to make sure that they were done away with. I, you know, I got to get these things out of my life. So. You know, I'd quote scripture and pray and I'd memorize verses and do spiritual warfare all in this intention, well-intentioned effort to stay holy. Wow. You know, and not realizing that here, here's a very, very powerful truth on this. To feel is to be human. And when we shut off our emotions or we minimize or we deny what we feel, it's a distortion of the Imago Dei of the image of God that's mm-hmm. that's uh, imprinted on our on our lives. It's who we are. Yeah. So um, rep- repressing these very real emotions is in effect denying how God creates us. Wow. So in EHS we we talk about processing that how to do it in in the right way. Yeah, <laughs> that's huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. again, we don't want to we don't want them to dominate our lives. Yeah. But again. When we ignore them, that's when it's it becomes a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number three, dying to the wrong things. <laughs> Boy, I I could do a whole podcast on this one alone. Um, dying to the wrong things. Let me, let me unpack this just a little bit, and you feel free to jump in. When I went through my own spiritual revolution, I I, I was um, I realized something that I was taught that was really wrong, and that is this. I was taught that Jesus said to take up our cross, we're to die daily like Paul said, but here's where I went south with it. I thought about it in these terms, and I even wrote this down on our notes here. The more miserable you are and the more you suffer, the more God loves you. Wow. I actually believed that. That was that was my belief system growing up, is that you know the more miserable you are and the more you suffer, the more God loves you. So here's the reality, Aaron. We're called to die to the sinful parts of who we are. But we're never called to die to the good parts of who we are, the things that bring us um, joy and pleasure, the healthy desires and the pleasures of our life. You know, um, nature, art, music, um, beauty, recreation, you know, laughter. I mean, I, I, was, I was raised almost with this idea that anything that was remotely fun was sin. Wow. Do you almost feel like it made you want to stay in your places of anger, your places of, I don't know, temptation longer? It's a good question. I, yeah, I think to a point it, it got me there, but it was more, I just felt this constant pressure that, you know, if, if I enjoyed anything in life, even if it was good, that it was wrong. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's pleasure. It's, it's, yeah. It was just taking stuff out of context in the scripture. Yeah. And so dying to the wrong things. And this is such a broad um, topic and a broad category to go into. But uh, I think the most important thing to remember is that we don't die to the good parts of who we are. We die to our sinful desires. Mm-hmm. Denying the impact of the past on the present. Okay. This is huge. Yeah. Um, even so for me, I 
there's been so many times in my past that I think God's totally had to rip me out of a situation um, and very thankful that he did or kind of blindside me so I can turn a different direction. And a lot of times in my day-to-day life, I think I forget what he did almost. Mm. Like I forget about the miracle that maybe in my mind it wasn't a miracle because it was very painful at the time. But I forget what he did in my past and how it's affected my day-to-day life now. And we can go further on that probably another time because yeah, it's a lot to unpack. It, it is a lot to unpack. And I'll just say one thing on that. You know, the scripture uses really great language like we're born again. Uh, so there's new life. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17, if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Um, you know, those things, they're powerful scriptures, but they've been misunderstood in a lot of ways. Now, because when we come to Christ, we are, as far as our our sins, those things are forgiven, they're wiped away, we're given a new name, a new identity, a new future, a new life. It's truly a miracle. We're declared righteous before God. But here's, here's where the misunderstanding comes in. Our past continues to influence us. So past temptations don't just go away? No, they, they don't. In fact, I think <laughs> they great, intensify. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But again, those, those behaviors, those patterns, those belief systems, those things are still there because they've shaped us. Yeah. They've, they've shaped who we are. And so um, I experienced this well into my adult years that, um, and if I can, I'll just give one, one really quick example because it's, yeah. so, it's such a big deal. Um, I was heavily influenced by my maternal grandparents, spent a lot of time with them in my formative years. And they basically had this notion of love where, and it was really evident now look, looking back on it, it was all about conditional love. Mm. So my grandmother, who I adored, you know, she would say things to me like now, and she was from Kentucky, so now Jonathan, <laughs> if you really love me, you'll do bop, 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 bop. You know, if you love me, you'll do this. If you love me, you'll put, it was little things like, you'll put, you'll put the two creamers in my coffee. It was stuff like that. And so, of course, you know, you're, you're three, four, five years old. What are you going to do? Yeah. Because then the end result was hugs and kisses and affection and all this kind of stuff. But that was shaping a very unhealthy view of love inside of me that the more I did, the more I performed, mm-hmm the more that I would be loved. And so you can imagine what that did in my life with God. It's like, man, it's like I have to just keep doing all this stuff and then I'm gonna win the favor of God. So obviously that shifted in my life and I realized that God's love is unconditional. But again, we cannot deny the impact of the past on the present. That's why this is such a huge principle of EHS. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's continue. Um, dividing life into sacred and secular compartments. <laughs> so we've got our work life, our school life. Yep. Our home life. <laughs> our home life. Our parenting life. Yeah. You know, uh, whatever. It's, yeah, it's in, it's in buckets, right? And then we do a really good job as humans of moving in and out of those those buckets, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Even so, going back into, as a pastor's kid, I had my school friends and I had my church friends. Now, I remember talking with my mom 
about a birthday party. And I'm like, what friends do I invite? Because they're not going to get along. Like, how messed up is that? Wow. <laughs> like, can I have I, two birthday parties? You yeah. should have milked that for more gifts. I know, right? I should yeah. Have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I ended up inviting both, but yeah. it was just like, they don't know each other, you know? Yeah. Like, it was, and I, the fact that I, I had two separate buckets for school and my church friends. And now looking back at that, yeah. I realize, like. How, how did that affect you? I mean, I'm curious how that affected, you know, just the way you did life when you had, you know, these two sets of friends. It allowed and, me to have secrets and it allowed me to That's not huge. share my entire life with both sides. And so a oh, lot man. of, yeah, a lot of my years in high school, really, I, I allowed myself to become silent and quiet and a lot of the things that I believed in just to be friends with everybody. I had friends in every wow. different friend type of friend group. I literally, I, I could sit at any lunch table and I did that on purpose to be liked by everybody. That's fascinating. So you would, you would basically become a different person kind of, you know, and yeah. you know, not multiple personality, obviously, but, um, uh, by the way, we do have counseling for that available. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I needed it. But, but. Yeah. But you became what you needed to become in those different groups. Yeah. To morph in wow. and to fit in. And because I, I was an insecure teenage girl who wanted Man. to be liked, wanted attention and didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I've always been a people pleaser. Wow. And so always just wanting to be the best version of what someone thinks I can be. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And that's really Especially what my parents, that's really why this, this, symptom is so powerful because yeah. I think so many people fall into this um, trap of living a compartmentalized life. God wants us to live healthy lives. He wants us to live lives that are whole. And we talk about integrity a lot. I mean, that's a wholeness word. It's about, yeah. you know, we get our word integer from it. It's a whole number. It's not about living compartmentalized. It's it's being a whole one person yeah. that, you know, God's working through us. So, um, all right, we're halfway there. Here we go. Yeah. Doing for God instead of being with God. Yeah. This this goes with what we've been talking about. Yeah. Our, our culture thrives on production yeah. and getting things done. Uh, Western culture has doesn't have a box for idleness, really. It's about, it, our first question when we meet people is, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So it's about doing. And, and in fact, I live this. I used to say things like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I think a lot of people say that. Yeah. So it was just about this flurry of, of doing stuff and, you know, hey, there's too much kingdom work. And I, and I would spiritualize it. Too much kingdom work to be done. You know, I don't answer the devil's workshop, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, crazy. So I was completely unhealthy in this regard. And, and I ignored my interior life to make sure that I was being productive. Mm. And the greatest lesson I ever learned, I'll keep this really short, was that we cannot give what we do not possess. Yeah, it's the whole analogy with, yeah. you know, your 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 vase or a bucket or whatever, mm. your glass, you know. Yeah. You have to continue to refill it if you're pouring it out. And For sure. And the greatest gift that we can give, I said this Tuesday night in, in the class, was the greatest gift we can give to the world is our life in loving union with Jesus. So, yeah. Let's keep plowing. 
Number seven is spiritualizing away conflict. You want to tackle this one? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have a box for conflict growing up, so... Yeah, I I mean, I've always been a people pleaser and uh if I'll get I'll tell you this. I was I wouldn't say that this isn't necessarily spiritualizing it, but I would run away from conf- from conflict. Me too. I I started when I was 3. I cut my own bangs when I was 3 and I hid behind When you were 3? I was 3. It was bad. I have a 3-year-old granddaughter. I would not give her a pair of scissors. They didn't know I, mean, I had scissors. Oh my god. <laughs> I was much mischievous. <laughs> <laughs> they actually called me the bubblegum bandit because if there was candy or gum in the house, I'd find it and then find it in like one of my drawers, all the wrappers and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyways, right, so I yeah, yeah, I cut my bangs when I was three and I hid from my parents. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I could go deep into this story. It's actually it's actually a really funny story. Maybe I'll just tell it. So yeah. So what is it? First- I, I'm curious what this has to do with conflict. So. Okay, so, well, yeah. I hid from my parents because okay. I was too scared. All right, gotcha. Because I knew okay. I did something wrong. And um, this is definitely a rabbit trail. I'm so sorry. So it was my first spanking, first and only spanking I've ever had in my life because I peed on my dad. <laughs> During the spanking? Yeah, I was so wow. scared. That's crazy. <laughs> anyway, so that was the beginning of it. And so anytime I would do something bad, I ended up putting myself in timeout. I would lock wow. myself in my room, and that's how my parents would know I did something bad. But you because, didn't have to face them. Yeah, I wow. I didn't want to face them because that's I was amazing. so intimidated and scared to tell them that I did something wrong. Wow. And so I think even whenever it comes to like doing something wrong with the Lord, I almost shy away from it mm-hmm. because I'm intimidated. I don't want I, I want to be a people pleaser. Yeah, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to be the reason. So how do you think that translates? I mean, obviously, you know, that's dealing with the vertical. I mean, how do you how do you think that that translates horizontally and being, you know, an unhealthy symptom of of our life, something we need to go deep because yeah. again, we're we're wanting to love well, love God and and well, love others. Well, when we don't so. face it and we yeah. don't face the conflict or have those conversations, the tough conversations, it allows us to fester on it and it it resonates with us and it creates shame mm. and it creates bitterness yeah and um pride too yeah because that's a selfish thing to do because it affects everything else you're doing in your life Absolutely. and the people around you and you know, all all I'll add to that. You did a great job on on unpacking that. And thanks for the bang story. That was fantastic. Um, learning how to resolve conflict in a healthy way is part of our spiritual growth and maturity. So, we got three more, and then we're we're going to be done for this first ever habit lab. Woo. Okay. All right. So number eight is covering our brokenness, weakness, and failure. Um, again, this is about this is about external pressure. You know, the pressure to to be strong, to have it all together. Um, you know, one, one of the things I love about the Bible, Aaron, there's so many things, but one of the things that makes me believe the Bible is true is that it doesn't try to hide the warts and the weaknesses of its heroes. That's so true. Yeah, I mean, Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Um, Jeremiah was suicidal. My first thought was Samson. Yeah, Samson was a womanizer. Um, David was an adulterer and he committed contract murder. 
So, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Peter rebuked Jesus, which I still think is, how do you, how do you rebuke Jesus? But he didn't. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. And, you know, and, and then there's a book in the Bible that bears his name. Um, Elijah burned out. Thomas doubted. So Bible doesn't try to cover over this. Um, the list goes on. All of us are deeply flawed. We're deeply broken. And we need to stop trying to cover it up. Mm-hmm. So if we find ourselves doing this, it's probably one of the symptoms that we should check off and be in as being one that we need to realize that we need to deal with. Yeah. yeah I kind of fumbled over that sentence, but you get my point. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. All right. Yeah. Okay, I'll get the next one because this is something I'm currently, right, do it. currently struggling with. Living without limits. Living without limits. Yeah. This one is hard for me. It's really hard because I like, I'm a doer. Again, it's that whole like constant wanting to be productive. If I'm not productive or if I'm not a part of that or if I'm not doing this, then what am I doing? You know, like I, f- I feel like I have to do it all or none of it. And so... I'm currently trying to figure out how to lead with limits and live with limits and have those boundaries, the healthy boundaries that we need to mm-hmm. actually be successful in what we're, we're, what we're doing. And so, so share with us, grace me with your knowledge and your wisdom on this. Um, I need it myself. Let me tell you this. Okay. That I, I did, I, this was one of my, I probably checked eight out of 10 symptoms when I first started getting into this content. And this was a huge one that, that I, that I, that I circled. And here's what I had to learn. Jesus did only what the father told him to do. And where I made the biggest mistakes in my life, when I was pastoring my first church, I was 26 years old. We were starting our family. I pastored for eight years. By the time uh, we had four kids in five years. So we've got small kids. My wife and I were doing everything in, in this small church. I was working five nights a week Wow. with small children at home. I was scheduling meetings at night, thinking that I was doing them a favor, which I was, but I was I was killing my family. Yeah. And I didn't know, but I was actually killing myself. And fortunately, I caught this in time. And I realized that leading with limits is is a good thing. Yeah. You know? Can you share some of the boundaries that you had to set in place with yeah. your family and with your wife. Yeah, we, you know, I said it at that point that um, that I was only going to work um, X number of nights a week. I was, I, you know, I would not schedule um, night meetings unless it was absolutely necessary. So the other limit was, and, and this is really hard to do in pastoring, but not to take work home with me. Yeah. You know, when I go home, I'm home. I'm with my kids spending time with them, you know, helping get bath time done. Getting, and that's a big deal when you've got a big family, you know, yeah. and, and it's a big deal what you guys have one, right? You know, yeah. so it's, it's, it's just all that stuff that's got to get done at night. Stuff's got to get done around the house. And then, you know, also having, having limits, even in the meetings that I schedule, giving a time parameter and being honest with people and saying, you know what, I have from 12 to one available on this day. Yeah. I'd love to meet with you at that, you know, between, during that hour. And what I found was I, I felt like people would buck that and say, well, he's not, he's not honoring. But I found out that it was actually freeing for them as well as it was for me. Probably more productive, too. A lot more productive because we get in 
and and we we talk about what we need to talk about and then we move. So those are just a few examples of yeah. the boundaries that that I had to set. That's good. So, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, last one. All right. Uh, judging other people's spiritual journey. I mean, this is huge in our culture. Yeah. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the polarization in our world right now, but it's yeah. huge. We it's it's well documented. And the mantra of our day seems to be, hey, if you're not with me, you're against me. Mm-hmm. And we put each other in these camps. And I'm not, here's the reality. I'm not going to do that spiritually. I'm not going to put people in camps. That's not the way of the kingdom. Yeah. I'm not, it's not my place to, to judge your spiritual journey and the journey that you're on. I mean, God's got you on a path, Aaron, and, you know, your husband, Ryan, he's got Ryan on, on a path. And, and I'm, it's not my place to do that. I mean, even as a pastor, I watch over the souls of people, but I can't make people become emotionally mature and spiritually mature yeah. and bring these things together. So, um, and if I'm not careful, the more I grow in Jesus, and this is a danger, which you've probably seen, the more I grow in Jesus, the more likely I am to become judgmental. It's hard. It is hard, but then sometimes it allows, if we allow ourselves to to get that far, then it creates bitterness in ourselves, especially if it's amongst people that we work with right. and people that we think, especially in a church setting, you know, if we allow bitterness to come in and we judge other people's journey, then we think, you know, we're better than them. Exactly. You know, it allows pride to yeah. sink in and yep. it's just dangerous. Pride, I've got more Bible knowledge than them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my prayer life is stronger. I've got deeper insight into the kingdom than they do. Yeah. Give me some ASMR vibes right there. (laughs) Yeah, I can't go there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Bottom line is we have to let others be who they are before God. Everybody's got their own pace. Yeah. And I can't start taking specks, to use Jesus' words, I can't take specks out of people's eyes when I've got logs in my own. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Can't do it. So, so Aaron, those are the ten symptoms, and you know, prayerfully, uh, we're also going to provide some uh, some resources for you guys. Um, if you want to use this in your cruise, in your, um, we would love to send you some stuff. So you can email us um, discipleship at pureheart.org. And uh, we're so grateful that you guys have taken the time to listen to this podcast or watch it, however. You, You've done it. So uh, I'm going to pray for them, Aaron, and then you can close us out, all right? Sounds good. All right. God, thanks so much for everybody who is uh, taking the time out of their schedule to listen or to watch. And I just pray over them right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just meet them where they are and that they would start this journey, that they would look at their own lives and realize, hey, maybe I'm unhealthy in this area. And not to take it as as a... um, as anything judgmental, not to take it in any way that they're less than, but quite simply to open the door of opportunity for you to come in and start doing a work of transformation. And so we as a church here at Pure Heart, we're honored to partner with uh, these incredible people wherever they're at Mm -hmm. in, in their spiritual life and in their journey. And we're grateful. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us for our first ever Habit Lab. We did it. Woo! Right on. <laughs> we will see you next month with our second one. Sounds good. We're in. Right. Take care, guys. Thanks.